This episode of Brailcast Extra is made possible thanks to a grant from the Winston Churchill Memorial Trust. For more information about the Trust, visit its website at wcmt.org.uk. Welcome back. Coming up, getting the Braille you need at work and university. A session recorded on Tuesday the 9th of March 2021 and introduced by Holly Scott Gardner. We're now looking at advocacy and how we actually get Braille. And in this session, how do we get Braille when we're in work through the UK's Access to Work scheme and when we're a student through the UK's Disabled Students Allowance scheme? And then next week, we'll look at more general advocacy. So how do we get Braille um, Braille signage, Braille on buttons on lifts and things like that? So definitely join us again next week for that. A quick reminder that we do offer some free equipment as part of our um, grant from the Winston Churchill Memorial Trust. We offer a... Um, Braille slate and stylus, so that is otherwise known as a Braille writing frame, some samples of Braille paper and abacus, and a Braille learning block. And if you want more information about that, you can check out our newsletter. Now to get on to some more very quick Braillist business before we start the session, just a reminder that we do run our book club on a Thursday. So if you are interested in reading with some other blind people and really working on your braille we currently have an intermediate and an advanced group if you're a beginner and you would like to join a beginners group or set something up let us know because we probably have some other beginners who might be interested so just reach out or come to that on thursday now i would like to introduce for this session um, we're joined by maraid who works for AbilityNet, and she's going to be talking to us about the access to work scheme specifically and then afterwards I will talk about disabled students allowance so hi Mairead thank you so much for coming and leading this session with me today. Thank you very much and thank you for the invite um, it's a great pleasure of mine to be here um, just to introduce myself as um, as you said I'm from AbilityNet and I'm the head of HR here I've been here for 10 years and I have quite a lot of experience with access to work for people claiming it when they work, so employed. We have four people currently within AbilityNet who use access to work regularly, so they have regular payments. And we have some people who've had their equipment supplied. Um, and also AbilityNet do DSA assessments on a regular basis, not necessarily through access to work, but we do have our own DSA assessments. So what I'm going to talk through with you mainly is access to work um, when you're being employed. So access to work can seem daunting, but really it isn't at all. It's a grant um, that provides support to if you have a disability, a health or a mental health condition. And really the aim is to help you start work. Um, it's to stay in work or for you to be able to move into employment or even start a business. So the support will accommodate your individual needs and it ensures that all your reasonable adjustments you need to do your job to the best of your ability are put in place. So what, what support might you get? So there's no amount for an access to work grant as the recommendations of support are very much to specific needs of an individual. But the grants are capped at a very high number um, per person at £40,800. So you can get quite a lot. 
I think last year we had somebody who needed some equipment and some um, training um, for dyslexia, and they got about £10,000. So it's a very good thing to access. So the money, the grants you get can pay for things like a support worker, which we use it for, or a job coach to help you in your workplace. So we have somebody who's visually impaired, so he has someone to sit with him sometimes to look at a website if he's doing an audit of a website. So he has support there. If um, a support service, if you have a mental health condition um, and if you're absent from work or finding it difficult to work, you can get the grant. Adaption, ad adaptations to any equipment you might use, any special equipment such as Braille. Um, you can use it, which we do for staff, for fares to and, work, to and from work when they're using public transport such as taxis. Yeah, you can use it if, um, for a communicator to help you at, um, to assist you at job interview. And also the cost of moving your equipment if you change your job. Because if you change your job and you've got some access to work equipment, then you can take that with you. So if we look at the eligibility for grants, um, it's available for anybody over the age of 16. And if your employer is based in England, Scotland or Wales, it's, it's different rules in Northern Ireland, but they do have something similar. Um, you must be about to start a job or work trial or already been in paid job or self-employed. You can't get a grant for voluntary work. Your disability or your health condition must affect your ability to do a job on a day-to-day -day basis or mean you have to pay have to pay work-related costs. So, for example, a special computer equipment or travel costs, such as tra public transport. So this is quite an important point. You can apply before you start a job. And once a job offer is made, it's, it, that is a good time to apply. You have to apply yourself. The employer can't do it on your behalf. And if you employ, if you apply within the first six weeks of joining, or you can apply before six weeks, then access to work will cover the full cost. After that six weeks that you've been employed, if you then apply, they will only cover partial costs. They won't cover all the costs. So that's something to bear in mind. Um, so you might not have get a grant if you've already got certain benefits, but that will be on the website that you can check that. And I'll be sharing some links um, with the team later. Um, and the money doesn't have to be paid back and will not affect other benefits you might have. I won't talk. We do do um, disabled students allowance here at AbilityNet, but um, I'll let you cover that later. Um, so once you've applied to ac an, access work, an access to work advisor, will contact you to discuss what help you could get. So you've put in your application, which is normally done online, but there are other methods. So you can get it in Braille as well. Um, and they'll talk through your application with you. Um, they'll talk about um, in detail about what support you need and what that means to you. Um, they will maybe ask if they can speak to your employer or employer-to-be, uh, but they won't do that without your um, sign-off to do that. When it comes, if they've signed it off and they said, yes, okay, we think... Um, you probably are eligible, but we're going to um, put you forward for an assessment. What they'll do is they'll give you details of the assessor 
um, to be contacted, you contact the assessor who will then arrange directly with you a date for an assessment. And at that stage, the assessor, which should, and I'm sure they all do, we do, is they go through in detail what the process of the assessment will be, because that can be quite daunting for people. At the moment, it's a bit more difficult because it's um, not many are doing face to face. It tends to be remote. All hours are remote at the moment while we've still got lockdown. Um, so we do that through um, online. But they'll go through the report with you in detail and they'll assess your needs. So they'll really try and understand what equipment you want or what support you need and why that is the case. You can say that you want a particular piece of equipment or software um, and they wouldn't sort of argue with that if because they're not going to be experts probably on something like Braille. But, but sometimes they'll come up with something that by talking to you, they might find that something else might be assistance to you as well. And that could even be having a more of a flexible working pattern if you've got some mental issues or you're dealing with stress or workload. So they can suggest those things as well. The other thing that they do very often is make sure they assess your workstation so that it's not just software, so that makes sure you've got the right chair and the mouse and stuff to make it comfortable for you. So they do that. Um, the report they write is quite detailed, especially for access to work. It's quite a hefty document. They send that back to the access to work um, person who's been um which has been appointed to you and then they'll rec then they'll read through it see what the assessor have said if they agree it they'll come back and let you know that it's all been signed off or they might say we're going to sign this off but we're not going to sign this off and they'll give you reasons for that and there is an appeal process you can go through as well if you don't agree with it what happens then for us as an organisation? So what if you were employed, so what they do is they come to us, they'll say to the person it's been agreed, they'll also let us know that it's all been signed off and we can go ahead and order the equipment, the support and how much it's for. We would then do that and then we would pay for anything that it costs and then we make a claim back to access to work. And then everything then is sent to you direct and it's owned by you then. So once you've got it, you can take it, as I said earlier, take it to each job that you go to. Um, Uh, so you do have to let, if there's any changes in your circumstances of your disability, your home address, your, if you've got a new employer, job role or work pattern, you do have to let them know that. They'll give you a date. So I'm thinking about more of support. So say you've got a support worker, they'll say, right, you've got £20,000 for the next four years say I think it's three years and then you have to reapply for that up to 21 weeks before the that date ends and then you do the renewal process as you did from the start before you just go online normally or use the alternative formats what I would say is once you start it it's very straightforward it's um, a very useful thing to take up and it, they, they're, they're very understanding. We've had somebody recently who wanted to change some of his support worker to using a particular app that helps him and they've allowed him to do that even though the app is more expensive 
than the cost of the support worker. So I suppose what I would recommend to you, and it might be daunting and you might find it daunting, but as long as you've got someone there to help you, it's once you've started, it's a quite a good process to go through. You can get advice on from your disability employment advisor, and that's from your local job centre plus office. And again, I've put a link here in my notes to pass on to the team so they can share that with you. So it's quite a straightforward. I think the the area where people get a bit nervous is when it comes to the assessment. But if you've got a good an assessor, they'll talk you through the process before you even get in the room with them or do it remotely online. And that is it, really. It's that basic. I've got some details about um, the disability students allowance, but I think you're going to cover that off, aren't you? Yes, I will yeah. be. Yeah, so I won't cover that off. Um, and that's it, really. So are there, if there's any questions, I can take any questions that anybody has. So, um, oh wow! Well, we're already getting uh, we're already getting hands raised. Thank you for that. Uh, that was incredibly informative. You know, I always find that access to work is sort of one of those things where I, you know, at a personal level, know that it exists, but there are lots of sort of intricacies that I wasn't quite sure about that you've gone over. So, really, uh, really appreciate that. So, um, <clears throat> as a quick reminder for anyone who wants to raise their hands, there are a few different ways you can do it. You can, if you're on Windows, press Alt-Y. If you're on a Mac, you can press Option-Y. If you're on a, a mobile phone, if you're calling in via a telephone, you can press star 9. Or if you're on an iDevice, such as an iPhone, iPad, or iPod Touch, you can press the More button, which you'll find in the bottom right of your screen, and then press the Raise Hand button. And we try to give people a little bit of warning uh, just before we come to them, uh, just in case uh, anyone is uh, making a cup of tea or, or maybe doing something else. So we try not to uh, catch you unawares. Uh, anyway, so lots of hands. So we're going to come to Jeff first. And then after Jeff, we're going to come to Fola. So uh, I'm going to unmute you now, Jeff. And uh, there you are, Jeff. You're, you're good to go. Can you hear me, Ben? Loud and clear. Okay, thank you. Um, thanks, Mairead, for that. Um, couple of questions really firstly do you do you think the scheme is variable over the country because you talked about um links at various job center plus um offices um to be blunt i can't believe they're all of the same standard or is the training so impeccable that they all do an ace job the standards very much do vary and it and it very much depends on who's who you've got um, appointed to you. I've had some very good ones, and I've had ones mm -hmm. that um, just struggle, and they make the process so difficult, even for the employer. But on the whole, I think the more we do it, the more competent we get as well as sure. employers and push it along a bit. But, um, you know, you'll get that anywhere, wouldn't you? It's like being in, a, in a, an organisation. You get some people who are really good. Sure. And if I might just follow up with another very quick one. I couldn't work out, does AbilityNet, um, do you funnel the application over the whole country or just for a little bit of it? Or I wasn't clear of your administrative link in the process. So we do the whole country. Oh, okay. are you talking? Yeah, we do for the whole country, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Uh, so we're going to come to Fola next, and then after Fola, we're going to come to Jane. Uh, so Fola, you are now unmuted. 
Thank you very much. Um, I had a, a bad experience of AbilityNet um, a few years ago. I just changed the job and my employer wanted me to have an assessment. So I phoned up and I was looking at the site and the person I spoke to kept telling me that they can't, they don't do assessments. So I kind of gave up and stayed away from them. And luckily I had my uh, equipment supplied by my employer. Um, but now I'm learning Braille and I'd like to um, acquire a Braille note taker. But I've been with my employer for close to four years. Can yeah. you give me an idea of the um, kind of ratio of the contribution they'd have to make here? I, I think it's it can be anything between 60 and 90%. So it can still be quite high. The access to work with pay, you mean? Yes, even after you've been there quite a long time. And again, um, as Dave said earlier, it, sometimes it depends on who you're talking to. I've had someone who's been working with this and they've had 100% funding. So sometimes it depends on who you're dealing with. But it's still very good. It's about 60 to 90%, yeah support you yeah good to good to know uh, we're going to come to jane next and after jane we're going to come to alan dyke uh, but for now jane you are unmuted hello hello my, my question is i was wondering if you're self-employed and you only do 16 hours a week would you be able to get access to work yes Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. They are sometimes the easy ones are the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I sort of I, I relish the times where there is a straightforward answer like that, because usually it's not quite as uh, <laughs> usually not quite as uh, simple. But great, great to hear that that is going to be possible. Mm. Um, and thank you for the question, Jane. Oh, uh, no Alan, problem. Alan Dyke, you are now unmuted. Zoom meeting. Window. Hello, can Stop you hear video me? Button. Loud and clear. Right. I'm wondering if the rules for access to work has changed. Whilst I was receiving access to work, my you employer on a had to play a to certain amount button, of money. Press control. Option, and I, and I lost my access to work because the employer refused to pay it one time. Is the situation now that the employer doesn't have to pay anything at all? Um, just just for a bit of clarity there, Alan, were you with the employer for quite a while or was it within the first six weeks of applying? Number one has left the meeting. Oh, no, what had happened is I'd been working out at the BBC and it takes some time to, be, to come to becoming a producer. So yeah. I went for access to work when I was given my own job to do, running my own programme. So were you self-employed or employed by BBC? I was employed by BBC as a producer. Right. So if you were employed by the BBC and you'd been there longer than six weeks, then yes, there's still a percentage, as I just said um, earlier to Jane, that there is a percentage that the employer then Ooh, has to number pay. One has joined the meeting. And it can be anything Ooh, between... Six number one has left the meeting. It can be up to like 40% they'd have to pay. You do have to pay some some money, yes, as an employer. If you've okay. worked for them for longer than six weeks, yeah. But it's a bit right. disappointing if the BBC didn't pay that extra little bit. Yeah, can I ask a supplement? Because I wasn't allowed to take my equipment with me. It stayed in my BBC office. Well, 
it does belong to you, but you do have to the, ask the employer if you can take it with you. But I'm not sure what equipment was it, Alan? Oh, it was one has computers. Uh, it was all technical stuff, computers, uh, um, that sort of stuff. But they didn't pay for it. The BBC well, didn't pay for it all. They paid a percentage towards yeah. it. Right? And, I, I and when I went to leave, they wouldn't let me take it. So I had a printer, an inkjet, an inkjet printer, a computer, um, a scanner, all sorts. And it's, it, I had to leave it behind. Well, Access Will Work will say to you that you can take it with you, but just check, ask your employer. But I would say, why would the BBC keep that, really? If, if, if it was given to you as part of your access to work, that's something that you needed. Why wouldn't they let you take it with you? But that, then again, is down to different employers, it, isn't it? It's water under the bridge. I was just clarifying it to let people know that these things might occur. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Stop video button. Stop video Great. button. Stop that, video Alan. button. Um, Stop video. Uh, there we are. Um, so. Uh, great question there. And we don't seem to have. Any I'm sorry, other... Ben, I, I did put my hand up, but I think probably because I'm at the top of the list, you didn't <laughs> see it. So I'm happy um, to be ignored if someone else has put their hand up in the meantime, but um, they are up. OK, you're uh, you're not showing as raised uh, to me. So we'll come oh. to Matthew and then we'll come to Khalid next. All right. Well, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I'll, I'll try and keep it brief if there are other questions. Um, I actually had two of them and they might be brief and they might not be. But the first one, um, when I filled in my PIP application form, it was pages and pages long. And there were mm. about, I don't even know, you know, 12, 20, 14, something like that questions. And you basically had to give a massive great essay for every one of these questions about how your disability affects you. And this was a really daunting form. What, yeah. by, by comparison to that, what does the application form for access to work look like? Um, to be honest, I'm not sure I can answer that because I don't get involved in that stage because I don't fill out the form. It has to be done by the individual. The employer can't get involved at that stage. Right, um, okay. But there is a... When If you go onto the government site and access to work, it's a really good site. And there's a link there and there's a link to the form of what you'd need to fill out. Um, I think it will be detailed, knowing, thinking about the government and how they work and how most, if I think about the access to work um, report they do compared to what we would do, it's very long, you know, compared sure. to us. So I think they like lots of detail just to back themselves up that that's why they're giving the money. Okay, but possibly not many questions, possibly sort of, you know, two or three detailed questions rather than 20 detailed questions. But, I'm not uh, sure. I think yeah. I, I wouldn't say two or three. I think there might be more than that. Okay, well, I'm sorry to have put you on the spot with that one. Possibly, that's all right. That's all right. Possibly not a fair question. The second one, which you might be able to help a bit more with, um, there's some quite specific equipment that I want. You know, I want... I want a braille display, but I don't just want any old braille display. I want a humanware braille display and I want the 40 cell version of it. So at, in, in the assessment process, to what extent do I need to be justifying? You know, to what extent do I need to say I particularly want a humanware braille display? Or will the assessor just listen to what I have to say? and they, They'd listen to what you'd say because you're more the expert on that. And as long as you say the reason you want that is because of... And with um, us, when 
I've had someone who's done it internally. She specifically put into her report to access to work the actual equipment or the software she needed. So you can do that. Okay, that's wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you for that, Matthew. And uh, last, uh, but by no means least for now, in uh, in the raised hands, is Khalid. Uh, so, hey, Khalid, you are, ooh, you uh, you should have something. Um, uh, there you are. You're good to go. Okay, I hope uh, you can hear me. Yeah. Um, my question was just about if you move to another employer. So, if you change your employer and uh, you go to a new employer. Does the new employer then have to pay a contribution or is it the case that you do you have to basically set up a new claim with access to work, especially if you already have the equipment from the previous uh, employer? So it might just be the travel costs that you need to be done. Uh, Do you then still have to raise a new case, so to speak, with them? So um, you would have to let them know that you've moved jobs and who your new work address is and who your new employer is. Okay. It works slightly different two ways. So if you've got the equipment and say it's a piece of Braille equipment or a piece of software, and as I mentioned earlier to Alan, they should let you take it with you. If you take that with you, then, you know, it's done and dusted, really. You've got that, haven't you? If it's an ongoing payment, such as you said, like travel, Um, and they're paying travelling costs, then if they're paying it 100% and there's no um, conflict there, then really your new employer doesn't have to do anything because it's already sorted. What access to work will do will just ask you to fill out a form to say who your new employer is and who the contact is, and that's that. But if it's something that they're not paying the full amount for and the employer's paying part of the cost for, then that new employer would have to take on that cost, yeah. Okay, thank you. Thanks for that, Khalid. Uh, great question. Uh, we've had a, another hand uh, in the uh, process of you uh, asking that question. We've got Tim with his hand raised. Uh, so I'll just unmute you now, Tim, and you are good to go. Thanks, Ben. Um, just on Matthew's question about the the form, I did it a year ago and I don't remember it being half the uh, involvement of a PIP form um, it was much easier um, and I had a similar experience as to what's been discussed in terms of being able to define what um, equipment I needed and explain why I needed it and the assessors were very um, amicable towards that and access to work agreed with uh, their recommendation so I would I would actually say that the assessors um, to a large extent, prefer it if you know what you need. Um, they, while they're there to try and guide, they don't have the same level of experience as you will in the equipment you need to support yourself. And I did have one small question, which was um, around, um, like I said, my access to work was approved a year ago. Um, I'm now at a stage, thanks to the Braillist, where I would like to use Braille. Um, is that just a case of contacting access to work and uh, seeing if they will support in a Braille display or uh, is there any experience in changing it midway through a, a case? So um, you've probably got a contacted access to work, haven't you, if you've receiving access, if you've received something in the past? Have you still got that same contact? 
uh, probably somewhere in in the depths of my email, I seem to remember I had to escalate to to their manager because they weren't performing. Um, yeah. But I've probably got their manager's contact yet. Yeah. I would start there first. Uh, the, what they'll probably say, because I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes there's quite a bit of a turnover in staff at um, Access to Work. They move around a lot or move on. So that person might have gone. But you'll have an Access to Work number they would have given you at the time. So if you can find that, yeah. that's useful for them. They'll probably ask you um, some details and they'll say two things. They'll either say, OK, we'll set up an assessment for you, see what you need. Or they might say you'll have to redo the process and go in and apply for it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thanks for that, Tim. And we've uh, got one more hand that's just uh, snuck in uh, before I was about to hand over to Holly again. We have Claudia with a question as well. Hey, Claudia, you are unmuted. Oh, hello. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, I know you said there is a 60 to 90 or 100% uh, chance of, of funding. So is it similar to DSA that you actually, I mean, there is a, excuse me, there is a, a chance that you might not get what you, you ask for? Yeah, yeah, yes, and they might do that, but um, it's quite unusual. I've never come across it if the assessor has approved it for the access to work then to, um, to make a judgment against that report is very unusual they'd probably um, approve it at that stage it can happen though that the assessor well especially in DSA there are very strict guidelines of what they can and can't give you so if the assessor says that you could have something the um, student finance could say no it's it's not part of what's been approved um, but you would normally get it when I say a hundred percent as I said earlier, if it's about employment, you'll definitely get 100% if it's within the first six weeks of working for an employer. After that, the employer has to pay some money. Okay, yeah, I, I understand. So obviously, well, the sooner the better, I guess. Yes, and once you've got a job offer, that's the time to apply. Okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah. and just let your... Um, your employer know that you're applying, I would just, um, you don't have to, but that's what I would do because they'll probably get some contact from Access to Work. Okay, um, that, later. That, that's, that's good to know, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that, Claudia. Uh, Mairead, I'm uh, very much aware that we're taking up quite a bit of your time. We have Tim with his hand raised again. Are you happy to- Yes, no, I'm Tim fine, thank quickly? you, yes. Okay, great, no problem. Uh, Tim, you're good to go? Thank you for that. Um, it, it was just to to check on uh, understanding of contribution. Um, so my access to work has only been around equipment. Um, yeah. My employer's uh, FTSE 100. I've been with them eight years now. Um, and because of the size of the company, they've had to contribute up to um, £1,000. And then I think it was... Uh, the first thousand pounds and then twenty percent um of all costs after that, so it hasn't been um a challenge in getting them to support me with with the costs um even though they're a large company and I've been there a long time yeah, I think sometimes though Timmy it can be costly if you're quite a small company 
Right. I think that's where they struggle. If you've got, if you're a big company, you know, a thousand pounds isn't much, is it? But if you're quite a small company, it can be a bit of a struggle. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for that, Tim. Sorry to sorry to move you along. Um, so, and thank you to everyone for all of those great questions. Um, I'm going to bring Holly uh, back in now to uh, move things along. Thank you so much for answering all these questions and thank you to everyone who has asked questions as well this has been incredibly helpful and um, I I know I've learned a lot which is exciting so I just want to say thank you to Mairead for sharing your expertise and your experiences with the access to work process. You're welcome. Yes yeah, so I'm going to talk a bit about DSA unless you have anything else on the access to work front that you want to share. Not for me, thank you. It's perfect. Well, thank you so much. So, yeah, we've talked a bit about Access to Work, which provides um, funding for support, whether that's human support or equipment in work. And I'm going to talk about DSA, which is Disabled Students Allowance. Now, some of the things I talk about, I think, have applications to Access to Work in that I'm going to speak about justifying why you need specific pieces of braille technology so hopefully this will be useful to everyone firstly i'm going to quickly overview the dsa application process so you apply for disabled students allowance through student finance so if you've applied for a student loan you can tick on your form that you're a disabled student and they will direct you to apply for um for dsa you can also apply for DSA if you haven't applied for a student loan, if you're funding your course yourself, and you can go to the student finance website to download the forms for that. Unfortunately, student finance does still require people to fill out paper-based forms, or they will really, really push you towards that. Now, there is a number and an email address where you can get the form in Braille or in a Word document, but they do ask you to then fill in the paper-based form. Now, you do have the right to both receive and complete the form in an accessible format of your choosing. So if they tell you you can't, um, you can actually challenge them and that is your right under the Equality Act. I'm not gonna go into that too much, but public sector organizations do have a duty to make their web-based content accessible. So if their PDFs as well are not accessible, they should be. But once you've filled in that application and your DSA application has been approved, you'll be directed to book a DSA assessment, which will take place at an assessment center near you. So your needs assessor will chat to you about your needs as a disabled student. And this covers all kinds of things from how are you going to read textbooks to how are you going to write essays to time management to how are you actually going to get from your accommodation to the university and at that point they'll produce a report with recommendations which will be sent to student finance you do have the right to ask to receive a draft of that report and i would recommend it because it's always good to know what they've specifically recommended now it used to be that there was a separate budget for equipment and for non-medical support. So things like support workers or transcription, but those budgets for both undergrads and postgrads have now been merged. 
So you have one budget for the whole thing, which is great if you're a blind person who wants a more expensive piece of technology and less um, non-medical support because it used to be that the tech budget was quite small. Now, some parts of the DSA package will be funded by your university and others by student finance. So student finance makes the decision about what you get, but they don't fund all of it. Your university can't just refuse to fund it. So it's okay. You don't have to worry about that. But technology does come under student finance. So if you're re requesting a braille display, they would be funding that. The most important thing when you go into your DSA needs assessment, and I think this kind of links into access to work really nicely, is to know why you need the specific things. So know why you need a braille display and know why you need a screen reader. And if you have a preference for braille display, you've got to be able to justify why the one you want is necessary. So for example, the Mantis Q40, and I use this example because this is what I got as a postgrad, has a QWERTY keyboard. And I justified that it would be easier to work on group projects and things like that because I could pair my Mantis with something like an iPad and everyone could type on it. Now, COVID really put a stop to that, but um, those kinds of justifications are perfectly valid um, and it, you, you're well within your rights to ask that. So it's worth thinking about, for example, if you want a focus, does it do something that another braille display doesn't? Do you already know how to use it? Are you familiar with it? Do you struggle to learn new piece of tech and that would be better? So knowing things like that really helps you, but it also helps your assessor because your needs assessor should be on your side. And I'm very, very fortunate that I have, I like to say she's the best needs assessor ever. I, I don't know if she technically is, I'm sure other people will argue that theirs is, but she's been wonderful. And I think working as a team is really ideal, but you can't rely on your assessor to know the ins and outs of every braille display. And most of them will admit that they don't because their job is to work with disabled people with a whole range of disabilities. So what they know really well is the student finance criteria. They know what student finance has historically funded, but they don't necessarily know which is the latest Braille display Humanware has released because that's not what they do. So they can recommend Braille, but they might not know why you need a specific Braille display. So what I do is I go into the assessment with a clear idea of two things. Firstly, why I need Braille. And that sounds obvious, but you've got to justify these things in reports. Well, your assessor has to, and if you can give them a perfect one-liner, then that helps them. So I go into this and I say, well, I need Braille because I'm a blind person. Braille is my medium of reading and writing, and I can get information through Braille that I can't get through speech, or that I can't get so easily through speech. So layout, so things um, like italics, and we can argue, well, you can get those through speech, but actually they, they, they're much easier for me in Braille. And you've got to bear in mind that this is a personal thing. Um, you can also say things like, well, I'm expected to deliver a lot of presentations as part of my degree, or if you're going for access to work as part of my job, and I want an ears-free solution. So I don't want to be plugged into a headset all the time, and Braille gives me that. But then the second layer to that is, well, why the specific device? And I touched on that with my example about the Mantis with the QWERTY keyboard. But again, you know, your different device you choose, you, you may choose something like an Orbit and say, well, you know, I um, actually need a lightweight device or a smaller device because I have a physical disability as well, or what, whatever your reasoning is, or, well, I need this Braille device because it provides a one-handed mode. 
So it's perfectly okay to come in with these kinds of justifications. And actually your assessor wants you to do that because they really want you to get the right pieces of tech. And if you know what you need, then that helps them. Now, if you don't know what Braille display you want, that's also okay. I would say that DSA has a pretty established history of funding brilliance and focus displays. So brilliance from humanware, focus line of display from um, Freedom Scientific or Vispero. So you're likely to get one of those. Now I say likely, it doesn't mean you necessarily will, but they tend to be the standard ones that are issued when you go, well, I want braille and don't say anything else. Um, so when I was an undergraduate, I said, well, I want Braille. And I hadn't really thought about the ins and outs of displays, foolishly. And I got given a focus, which didn't work for me. Now, there are lots of people who love the focus and it, it's a good display. It just wasn't right for me as an individual. So I really always stress to people, um, if you can get demos from the big tech companies like Humanware, like Freedom Scientific, um, you know, talk to the RNIB possibly about orbit demonstrations i'm not sure if that's something they'll do but it's worth reaching out and talking to all these people and saying well can i have a demo or you know let's say you want to know about the new braille notes or something well can i try one because it will give you a much better idea before you go into your needs assessment as to what device you want now what happens if you get denied so often i would say that a blind person outright gets denied braille but you may get denied the specific device you want. And that usually happens in DSA because your assessor is asked to um, supply several quotes. And it may be that they decide, well, a quote for this device is cheaper in um, student finances, infinite wisdom. And they will tell you, well, no, you can have this display, but not that display. Now, there are procedures you can follow. Um, the first thing is to go back to your needs assessor. Again, you're a team. They aren't employed by student finance to work against you they usually work for access centers so maybe at a local university or a school or through an organization like AbilityNet. so their job is really to help you they're on your side so go back to them and say well you know i really need this specific device and what they can do is they can help put a plan together and they can go back to student finance and say well actually you haven't accepted this part of my report why not and student finance will give them an actual reasoning for that and they can produce a more advanced and more lengthy justification for why that specific product now again this often happens if it's a new piece of tech to the market or happens i would say more often because you're the first blind person who's requested it and student finance are going wait what we don't know about this um there is a process your assessor will follow and they should be familiar with that now if it's denied again your assessor can escalate that. And so then that goes to a higher body within student finance to review. If that gets denied um, one more time, this doesn't tend to happen with Braille, but um, stranger things have happened. Um, there is a student finance complaints procedure which you can follow as an individual. And I would recommend doing that if you do get denied multiple times. Um, there's also a dedicated email address for DSA, which I'll include in my portion of the handout. And you will usually use this address when you're applying for DSA in the first place. So before you go to needs assessment. Um, and there's a big push at the moment, which is very new, to assign blind students in particular with a dedicated caseworker so that you're only dealing with one person. This doesn't always work, 
but if you are a bit of a pest it tends to work and I know this because I was a pest um, and I got assigned a specific individual and that actually worked really well because it meant that they knew who I was they knew the ins and outs of my application I knew them uh, so hopefully if you've been assigned someone like that if you contact this main DSA email address you can put um you know attention of and their name if you don't have a specific person you can just send it to the DSA address although they deal with applications they can also help you escalate DSA complaints and kind of you know it gives you an in into student finance so I'd say that is the main thing to do now what happens if you're a year into your course and you realize you need braille that's okay um you can go back your needs assessor and you can call them up and you can say oh can I have a review of my needs assessment they will often not need to complete a completely new assessment what they'll do is chat to you over the phone and they might submit an amendment to your report now they might issue a new report but what it will do it will contain all the stuff you already have which student finance will pre-approve and then that additional support so I did this um not with braille but when I went on a year abroad because I needed drastically different support in South America than I did in the UK. So again, most assessors are very familiar with that kind of thing and that will not come as a shock to them. If you haven't used up all your budget, which you shouldn't have, um, you can get the equipment. And there are ways of getting around it. Even if you have, there are, there are things your assessor can do, you know, to speak with student finance about, well, this person, they've had a significant change of circumstances. They really need Braille. So don't think because you didn't ask for it in first year, you'll get denied and um, you won't. Now, what happens if you're going from undergrad to postgrad? Very briefly, usually they will expect you to keep your equipment and um, they will issue you with the same support. This tends to happen if you go straight from third year into a master's degree. I didn't. I took a year out um, in between. And when I went back, um, I had a completely new assessment because I also said, well, even though I'm going straight from one to the other or only a year my needs are very different because it's a completely different course so if you're going from English undergrad to English postgrad they'll probably reasonably expect your support to be the same but if you're going from something like chemistry undergrad to public policy postgrad and again that sounds strange but these things happen um, then you may need completely different support and I did this going from languages to social policy so it's okay to go back and say, well, I need a completely fresh DSA needs assessment and start again. So that is, you're well within your rights to do that. So I hope that's given you an overview of DSA and specifically in relation to Braille. So I will take some questions. We've got about just under 15 minutes. Great, thanks for that, Holly. And um, I, I wish I wish I'd uh, listened to that webinar when I uh, when I was at university, because um, navigating this on your own can sometimes be a bit daunting. But uh, I feel mm -hmm. like you've given us some some great stuff there. Um, so got uh, Jeff with his hand raised. So we'll come to you first. But as a quick reminder, anyone who likes to raise their hand, it's Alt Y on Windows, Option Y on Mac. Star 9 if you're dialing in on a telephone or if you're on an iDevice like an iPhone, iPad or iPod Touch. You can press the More button, which you'll find in the bottom right of your screen, and then press the Raise Hand button from there. Uh, so without further ado, Jeff, you are good to go. Can you hear me, Ben? Yep. Yep, great stuff. Holly, thank you very much for that. And thank you all of the folk at the um, 
Brailis Foundation for your dedication, commitment and professionalism. But what I'd like to just, um, what's the word, highlight is, yes, Braille displays are great up to a point, but don't forget there are other reasons why you want Braille and you may want it in hard copy. Uh, particularly, one of my particular things is tactile diagrams. So there are services that will produce these diagrams. They're not the cheapest, but um, if you're doing something like economics, etc., clearly tactile diagrams are key. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's a really, really valid point. And um, I should have touched on that, actually. So transcription is something that you can get funded through DSA. And um, I'm very, very fortunate that I'm at a university with a transcription center. So mine isn't funded through DSA. I get it just by being a student here, which is very rare. But um, transcription is something you're entitled to. And transcription can cover Braille transcription and it can cover um, production of accessible documents if you're doing a lot of research but you're totally right about diagrams um some people will want hard copy books depending on what they're studying you know economics is a great example mathematics as well the sciences you may want more mathematical concepts in the hard copy um or certainly very well produced brfs where you really need the braille production to be accurate and one thing I can think of in a non-STEM field is languages, actually. You may want um, really good Braille in the, the language that you're studying, particularly if you're studying something like Arabic, um, where, yes, you can read it using a screen reader, but particularly if you're coming to it from an English background, you might have better luck in Braille. So that's a very good point. Great question as well. Uh, thank you once again, Jeff. Um, no hands for now, but I, I, I had a, a quick question, Holly. I don't know if this has changed, but thinking about all of this technology, we, you know, we, can, we can talk about the latest Braille display, latest screen reader, what, whatever you like, um, uh, until, uh, until we, we've got sore throats. But what, what things are available for someone who sort of maybe thinks, okay, right, well, I, I, want, to, I want to do Braille, you know, that's, that's what I'm more comfortable with, but I'm not necessarily comfortable with how to use the product. So, so when you get your equipment, is there, uh, you know, in your needs report, can there be scope for training? Yes, absolutely. And that's something that your assessor should discuss with you. And if they don't, you can bring that up as well. Um, so usually training is provided by organizations. So not usually by the product manufacturer, though that can vary, but usually it could be someone like, for example, Sight and Sound. And I throw them out because they are a DSA. Um, they provide DSA equipment and things. That doesn't mean you'll get them, but what they, what happens is your needs assessor will say, well, this person needs however many hours training on X, Y, and Z. So it may be on their screen reader, on their braille display, on their software. And then they will go and gather quotes from these um, training providers. And then student finance will pick one of the quotes. I don't want to say it usually comes down to money, but it absolutely does from their perspective. So your assessor will go digging for those quotes and then student finance decides who you get. But yes, you're absolutely entitled to training. And again, if you get your equipment and you haven't asked for training, but you think I'm really struggling, it's okay to, again, call your assessor and say, I could really do with some training. And it's also a right to put training in your assessment, not knowing if you're going to use it or not. So that's something I did. I just um, allocated eight hours of training because I felt like eight hours isn't a huge amount. Um, if I don't use it, that's fine. 
And so what happened then is that was budgeted for and then I got the contact details of the organization of the training provider and then it's just up to me to call them whenever I feel like I need that training so you don't have to call them within the first week you could leave it a month and then call them and say actually I think I do need this training so that's a great point and actually that reminds me of something both what Ben just said and what Jeff said reminds me that actually um making a checklist can be useful before you go into your assessment because even in this I've forgotten a couple of things to say so as a student, you, you're under this immense pressure to know everything. So if you make a checklist before the assessment and bring that with you of anything you might want to bring up, also sometimes you might want to bring someone with you who can prompt you. So when, particularly when you're an undergrad or doing this for the first time. So I brought my dad with me because I knew he would think about things that I hadn't even considered. And he'd go, well, you know, have you thought about this? And that, that was really helpful. And I could go, oh, well, that's not necessary. Or I could go, oh, yeah, that's a great point things that we take for granted as blind people and forget to ask for because we're so used to them just being built into our lives that we maybe forget oh I'm going to need this actually to be specifically planned for in a new setting definitely and I guess lastly for me is because it's been a while since I applied but in in your experience is this uh is this still a process that can take sometimes i know i i applied for mine in uh in august and i didn't get my equipment until february i would strongly suggest applying as soon as student finance applications open um because it can take time my application was delayed not by waiting for equipment but actually by an inaccessible application form so you know, you've got to look at it from that point of view before you even get to the assessment. Um, delays with equipment happen. I, I've actually had really good experiences. I think I've been very fortunate that my assessor is extremely efficient. And I've obviously just got lucky with the with the companies I've had um, providing my equipment. It can take time. But I think if you can try and be really um, efficient and get your report in as early as possible, you know, if you apply for student finance and DSA in March, get your DSA approved, say in April, you could be having your assessment then, which gives you, you know, five months before you're starting university and hopefully you'll get your equipment well in advance. I mean, unfortunately, sometimes that can't happen, but yeah, if possible, do it early, but it, it shouldn't take that long. I say it shouldn't, but we know things happen. Definitely. Um, so we've actually, uh, just while you're answering that question, we've got a couple of hands. We've got about five minutes to go. So we're going to come to Alan Thorpe first, and then we're going to come to James. Uh, so Alan, I'm, oh gosh, all the hands are coming up now. So Alan, uh, you are good to go. Uh, good evening. It's a couple of um, points. Um, water access to work. An access to work application is not necessarily arduous. Um, it can be done over the phone, so you can actually talk to the, uh, the initial thing for the access to work. They will fill in the form, post it to you for signing by conveniently also putting a bump on where you need to sign. So it's all considered and various things. Return the form. And then that starts the process and it is only like a couple of pages and, and you don't have to write anything apart from your signature and it starts the process. Other bits about equipment, like specifically more around what Alan was saying, 
access to work will not fund a printer. They will not fund a PC if the job requires it. If any other person, if any fully sighted person was able to do that job and they, they would be using a PC, they would expect the company to provide that, but they will provide the software and things for you to access it. So when Alan was sort of saying, well, it's his equipment and they were saying it was his, and when he said about a printer and stuff, probably wasn't. That was still the BBC's not bought for Alan through access to work. Very painless process. Uh, and I've had quite a bit of experience of doing access to work assessments and things. And, and it is a good way forward for people to maintain employment and actually gain employment. Great. Uh, thanks. Thanks for that, Alan. Great to hear your experiences. Sorry to uh, cheer you everyone along a bit. So we're going to come to James Bowden next. And then after James, we're going to come to Sandra Kane. Uh, hey, James, you are unmuted. Thank you, Ben. Um, this is a question I should have asked earlier. Mairead, I, I see you're still here, which is excellent. I wonder if you could talk about if access to work and uh, Holly DSA will cover upgrades and servicing costs do you mean upgrades of your computer or something no so for example upgrades of a screen reader or servicing an embosser or whatever that kind of thing i'm not sure i don't think they would do the servicing i think they would do the upgrade though um, and that would be contacting them to say that you know you need the latest one and they'll say why do you need the latest one what's that got that you haven't got currently and you just go through the process again but um on the whole, I think they would do it. I wouldn't think they'd turn that down. It might be slightly different in DSA, Holly. I don't know because they've got a certain amount of money, but um, I think access to work would definitely do it, but I don't think they'd service it, no. Thank you. Yeah, DSA tends to be quite restrictive because they envision you'll only be at university for a fairly short amount of time. So for example, my JAWS license was very much, um, it doesn't come with upgrade, you know, it's a JAWS license, they want me to have this version. Now, I do think if there's a specific reason why you need something upgraded, for example, JAWS is actually quite a good example, but even with say a Braille display where um, let's say the latest version of your display can handle PowerPoints, you could probably use that as a justification to get an upgrade. Um, it's tricky territory in DSA because they're very funny about well, student finance is very funny about spending more money than they have to. But if you've got a good assessor, they should be able to make that case for you. And it really is case by case. Thanks for that, James. Uh, I'm going to come to Sandra next. And then uh, if we have time, can we squeeze one more in after Sandra, Holly? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Great. So we're going to come to Kawal after Sandra. Hey, Sandra, you're unmuted. Hi. Um... Hello, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hi, Holly. It's a question for you about the DSA waiting times. Um, I started an MA back in 2014 and I did all the right things. I got my form in on time um, and I got my doctor's evidence, uh, etc. But Student finance told me categorically that I couldn't have 
an assessment until I'd actually started the course. Is there any way of um, of challenging that? Because I went through my student disability services and they told me that some people had had earlier assessments um, but couldn't give me any advice on how I could make that possible in my case I was just facing a brick wall um with 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 the um with, with my case handler whoever it was that was was handling my my forms and stuff yeah so you absolutely should have had your assessment before you started the course I, I can't even fathom why they would have told you that because it is so wrong um but it's like any organization, if you get the wrong person, you get terrible information. So you absolutely should have had your assessment before you started your course. The way I would challenge it would firstly be to respond uh, with probably quite a terse email. I'm not suggesting being too terse, but be very, very direct and say, well, actually, you know, this is what your website says. And you, I think if you actually look in the information on the website, it does suggest you get your assessment as soon as possible. Um, so if you can back it up with their own words, that tends to move them along. Then what I would do is um, these days, we're quite fortunate that there's a lot more advocacy services we can reach out to. So Thomas Pocklington Trust have a student support service. So I would reach out to them. Um, I believe Disability Rights UK have also done stuff around disabled students. So they would be able to support and if that fails, I would then go very much through the complaints procedure of Student Finance England or whichever um, country's student finance you're under and make an official complaint and, and save all your emails as well. So if, if you are dealing with them and they're being difficult, make sure you keep a record of all electronic communication or postal communication because it's really useful to kind of back up what you're saying and produce a, an email and send that across to them. And unfortunately, sometimes those are the steps you have to take. Very, uh, very well put. Thank you for that, Sandra. Going to go quickly to uh, Calwell. Uh, now you're unmuted. Oh, hello. Um, I just wanted to um, make a suggestions as to James's question, because I did this once and uh, he's asked about whether he could get access to work to upgrade his screen reader. Um, I remember on one occasion when I um, had problems with my equipment, I actually asked access to work whether or not I could get um, funding for a screen reader upgrade. And the way I did it was to say that my equipment my technology wasn't working with my setup anymore. So in you know, in case he wants to try that, he can do so. Thanks, that's really good to know. Great, well, um, I know we do have uh, another question from Chris. Really sorry, Chris, but we're, uh, we're running a little bit over time now. So I'm gonna hand it back to Holly to uh, wrap up. And I don't know, Holly, if you sort of maybe want to uh, signpost to some uh, brailleless email addresses where people can ask questions uh, that we haven't managed to get to. Yeah, definitely. If you have questions, I would say email help at brailleless.org. And what that will do is send it to our general help mailbox. And then these questions can be forwarded um, 
probably by Matthew to whoever knows the answer. So he tends to know who will know if he doesn't already. Um, also, I will be uploading a handout along with the recording and that will include links to information about access to work and DSA and various different um, websites you can go to for more support. But if you do want to actually speak to a human, then definitely email us and we'll be able to kind of help you figure out if we don't know the answer, where to get the answer to your questions. So I just want to say before we, well, as we wrap up, you know, thank you again to Maraid for joining us and speaking about access to work. And I hope that this session on access to work in DSA has given all of you some really valuable information and that you can go forward and get Braille in your, your workplace or education, whether that's hard copy Braille or through a display, because we really want to see people getting the Braille they need.